listening to United and Resilient, a podcast designed to help heal and support the El Paso community. Hello, I'm your host, Mariana Sierra, Outreach Coordinator for the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center, a program of United Way of El Paso County. We are dedicated to serve those who were impacted directly or indirectly by August 3rd. Join us on the journey to long-term recovery as we have honest conversations with local leaders, mental health specialists, and fellow El Pasoans who share their stories and expertise. We feature topics that influence and impact the vitality and resilience of our community. We are El Paso United, and together we heal. Juntos sanamos. listener, before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we're about to explore contains a mention of the mass casualty event and a description of the events that unfolded thereafter. This episode may not be suitable for everyone. Hello everyone, welcome to our last episode for this year. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us throughout the last couple of months. Thank you for welcoming us to your home, family, workout routines, and maybe workspaces. We are truly honored to have the opportunity to share tools and information that can guide the healing journey of our listeners. We cannot wait for all the conversations we'll continue to have next year with leaders and experts in our community. Now, at the FRC, we understand that the holidays can be difficult for someone who has lost a loved one and can even magnify any loss. In this episode, we'll discuss grief and the holidays. We'll provide information and tools on how to cope with grief during this season. Today, we'll speak with Gerardo Rosas, a local licensed professional counselor, supervisor, and CEO of Associated Behavioral and Trauma Specialties. Gerardo, thank you so much for being our guest today and welcome to United and Resilient. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. My name is Gerardo Rosas and uh, I am the CEO of Associated Behavioral and Trauma Specialties. So we are um, a trauma treatment office, basically. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Like I said, I'm truly looking forward to having this conversation with you because in the past years, I've been really interested in grief and grief and the holidays, because right. as much as I look for information about this subject, I didn't get the information that I was looking for. And I felt like right. I was kind of alone, you know, dealing with my mm. grief and the holidays. So my first question to you would be, what is grief? So I, I guess from a, from a basic and a more natural form of, of, of explanation, it's just a response to a loss in, in essence, you know, when we lose someone or, or something, uh, whether if it is a, a loved one, a relationship, or just any, any loss in particular, that we have some form of, a, of an emotional attachment or, or some affection was formed, right? So that's sort of the normal... Um, view of grief, you know, as far as losing something that we are having some form of an attachment. Awesome. And I guess um, I think this is very relevant, especially right now with the times that we're going through as a society, right? Because some way or another, because of the pandemic, we have lost something. And definitely these holidays are going to look a little different for a lot of families. So 
I think everyone right now is at a state of grief. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and, and this is this is sort of an important distinction because we have the, the normal, natural process of a grieving uh, transition when we lose something, but then we also have the traumatic grief, which is also when, when the symptoms and different things develop as a result of that, and it starts interfering with, with, uh, with our ability to function and, and our ability to relate to others. So then that's where we start having sort of a distinction with that. Maybe I should explain a little bit of, of the traumatic grief, you know. Well, it's also very important to understand how our loss happens. So we have, uh, for example, illness where we see our loved one deteriorating and, and kind of gradually um, getting you know, a little bit worse over time. And eventually we anticipate our, our grief and we know, okay, my loved one will die. So we have a little bit of an opportunity to do that consolidation of memories and, and even saying goodbye and, and this. So that... Uh, anticipation is something that allows us to put it into one one category. But then the other category is when we don't have that that opportunity, you know, and when it's sort of a shock, something that happened, and our mind is basically like unable to to build a file. If I can use a computer example, we are unable to to have a file, so it's just you know, lingering in our desktop. We we're not able to put it somewhere because we just don't have a way of processing that. Mm -hmm. And that is when it turns into a traumatic grief. And then if I add another, another step is when we actually lose somebody, uh, you know, in in a tragedy, either a loss or, 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 you know, just as as we experienced, um, you know, recently in our city. So we have different other events that turn into a more traumatic event that could potentially develop the, the post-traumatic stress, for example. Right. So I think it's, it's first good to understand how those symptoms would look like so that we know how to recognize them. And we, we can kind of classify them in, in, in a couple of groups of symptoms. So we have uh, what we call the intrusion symptoms, which is when we start having flashbacks, memories that pop into, into our mind when, you know, we're doing something, we're working or whatever, and like we get the thought about that. So that would be more of the of, uh, involuntary, the stressing memories. Uh, we have different things that, that reminds us of what, uh, of our loss. And we start having either, you know, some emotional reactions or some physical reactions. So all of those are what we call the, the uh, intrusion symptoms. Then we also have the avoidant, avoidance symptoms. So that is basically our mind trying to not think about something. So we have, we avoid memories, we avoid thoughts, we avoid feelings, uh, we avoid people, places, situations, or just anything in particular that could remind us, remind us of that. And that is very common in our culture that we just don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about our laws. We don't want to think about our situation. So that is one of the, one of the classifications of the symptoms. <clears throat> then we also have the, I guess, the thought and the mood alterations, which is when we, uh, sometimes we just don't remember, like, I don't know if, if, if you've ever been in a situation that you just don't remember a chunk of, of an event, like something bad happened and you just can't remember, you, you can't remember the details or something like that. Uh, sometimes we also uh, have like negative thoughts about our own selves in, in regards to that that event like it was our fault or, or or i lost my mom because it was my fault or if i would let's say for example if i have a teenager that lost a parent and and it was because she forgot something that she had to do 
for a project and they had to go to Walmart at night and they get into a car accident. So it's her fault that she did that. So we start developing negative beliefs. We start feeling blame and uh, we start kind of feeling detached from other people. So all of those are the group of like any, any thought or, or cognitive or mood alterations. And the last one is when we start having like basically how our mind and our body react to it. So those are the uh, arousal and uh, reactivity symptoms, which is like, uh, you know, how we express it. We get irritation, we get anger. We're always kind of watching out for danger or we, st- we startle easily. So all of those basically are the, the, the symptoms of what we would understand post-traumatic stress. So they develop because we are unable to um, cope and, and resolve that memory and turn it into a narrative memory. So it stays lingering in our mind. So going back to what I was saying, our inability to talk about it and to process it can turn into something like this. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. Thank you so much. And one of the things that I I found and I've learned in my role here at the FRC is that everyone's journey is different. And that is relevant as well for grieving, right? So everyone's grieving process can be different. So um, can you give a little bit of brief explanation on how grief can manifest in, in people? Okay, so I, I guess if, if I see it a little bit more from, um, uh, from the natural process, you know, uh, we might start having anger, uh, we might start having, uh, you know, sadness. So if we go with like the cooler raw stages, you know, we go through, through several stages of grief, such as denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and we they don't necessarily go by sequence. Sometimes they come in and out. Sometimes we have, you know, other, other, other ones that are kind of transitioning or overlapping. But the main thing with this is that that would be sort of a normal process of a normal grieving process. Right. Now, when we go into the traumatic grief, then, then is when we start having a bunch of different symptoms. Um, So the essence of that is that sometimes we, do not establish sort of a post-traumatic safety period, which is when we start um, uh, having difficulty accepting the present and, and we are unable to move from the past. Once we have that, then, <clears throat> then we start going into, into more of the, of the symptoms related to, to, like for example, post-traumatic stress and other things that I can keep talking about it. <laughs> we would need five hours for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm getting from this is that there's no normal pattern to manifesting grief, correct? Everyone, because sometimes maybe someone might feel like, is this normal what I'm feeling? Maybe you see your relatives that they're manifesting different things. <clears throat> you might feel right. a little like an outsider. Right. So this is where we get a little technical and now we start getting into like the grief versus the, the, the mourning of, 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 of a relationship as well or, or a loss, which is more of the expression of our thoughts and feelings into into the loss versus the other one is just more of, of the, the, um, the, the response to the loss. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, so totally on, on, one, on one side, you know, we have the response of losing someone and then we have money which is like our own personal way of of experiencing that which is you know some people are are um you know could be a little bit more more uh 
more expressive in their emotions and they 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 have um, the need to maybe cry or, or talk about it and some other people just completely shut down there they might be a little bit numb a little, a little bit more numb and they don't have a lot of reactions to that so this is where we get a little bit more into how the person copes with stress and how the person can be resilient um, about their losses right and and that's another question that I wanted to ask you um, because for the longest time, I thought that grieving and mourning was the same thing. So can you explain a little bit about what's the difference between these two? So the grieving will be, again, sort of the, the response uh, to the loss or, or the, the way that we go through the process. And the mourning is basically the, the way that we express it. Okay. All right. That totally answered my question. Um, I guess it, uh, my next question was going to be, what are the stages of grief? But we've learned that uh, there's there's no right or wrong pattern that you go through, right? Like sometimes it's just a different uh, area of emotions and that's totally okay. Even though the death of someone, of a loved one, is not recent, right? Maybe it's been like, you know, seven to ten years or maybe it's really recent but it might evoke emotions it's a little bit more complicated um, because now we're getting into our our natural responses and, and the way that we respond to to this has a lot to do with our self schemas which is the way that we see certain events that happen and then they mold the way that we see our, our events so um, now we go into the, the different experiences that we have had about grief, about losing places. And I guess let me just tell you a couple of examples. You know, there was uh, someone that I used to see in counseling, and this is this is like um, 10 years ago, I don't know, a long time. You know, when she came in, uh, she said, well, I'm afraid of, of death. I'm afraid of losing uh, my loved ones. And I'm afraid of, of my kids dying. And, 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 you know, when I started, when I started talking to this person, you know, I realized that her, uh, one of her partners had committed suicide and then her father died in a car accident or something like that. And then, you know, so she had a couple of, uh, she had multiple losses and I mean, in, I mean, uh, as a therapist, then I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Right. I mean, it's, it's absolutely, um, absolutely, uh, reasonable. <clears throat> and we started treatment. We started doing, uh, EMDR. It turned out that her original, her, her original event, the touchstone event, basically, was that she was little and she had this pet hamster, mm-hmm. and then the hamster died, and that is what started her concept and her schema about about losing something that she loved, and it just started developing from that point forward. And the other events, even though they were very big events, they were a constant reinforcement for a template that she had established at that time. So grieving in general has uh, such a strong impact depending on how the person developed their own templates, their own schemas about dying. So she had a previous trauma there from a very young age. Right. We have something that um, that is considered, um, okay, the proper term is autobiographical narrative memories, which means that this is like we understand something that happened. We understand 
the effect that it had on us. And, and we, we understand our memory that it was bad. It is ours, but it doesn't have any particular emotional reaction uh, at the time, you know? So at the same time, we have uh, more of a traumatic memory, which is something that continues to hold some, we are unable to digest the memory, to, to understand it, process it. So it still has that, uh, that emotional impact on us. So our capacity to turn memories into more of a narrative memory has a lot to deal with that. So if we lose somebody, but we are, a, let's say, for example, we lose a grandparent, when we are younger and we go through it, we see our family going through the green process, but we also see, uh, you know, the whole family recovering and, and going back into normality and accepting it. Well, then we, our understanding of that is that it's sort of a natural process and it's something that we all go through, you know, and, and, and we recover from that. We become resilient because we established a healthy schema about it. Okay. But if we notice that our grandparents go through uh, or, or we lose our grandparents and our family goes through major financial stress and they're not able to recover. And then during the funeral, you know, another family arose and, you know, he had another family and stuff. So now it turns into something very, very traumatic. Yeah. And then we learn, well, you know, that comes with quite a bit of trauma too. Yeah. Like the aftermath. It's not just like losing your loved one. It's the aftermath that can impact us in a certain way. Right. So we start understanding the whole uh, self schema according to the experience we had with that. Got it. In a recent conversation with a friend, um, we were talking about grief. I, I always like to have these deep conversations with my friends. And she mentioned something that has been engraved in my brain for the longest time. And she said... Grief should always be relatable. And uh, like I said, her, her comment really like got me thinking at how we all experience it, but somehow we try to hide it. We try to hide our grief. Um, why do you believe this is? So a lot of it has to do with, with um, the way that we are raised and we are, you know, uh, how to deal with this, you know? So, for example, I'm, um, you know, I was raised in, in Mexico, so I remember, um, you know, in elementary school, building altars and stuff yes. like that, and they would ask us to do, I would eat the, the sugar candy or the sugar skulls. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, yeah, yeah. yeah but basically, um, we were taught, hey, so, 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 Losing somebody is, is, is in a way normal, and this is how we honor their memory, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> so the concept of, of that is developed from a young age, right? right? But then at the same time, we have other situations where, where depending on the family system, uh, you know, they... they they don't want to cry about it. They don't want to talk about it or no, don't talk about this because it's going to, it's going to um, get him sad or depressed, you know? And sometimes it's, 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 um, it's hot, you know, and we, we, yeah. we, we, we learn how, how uh, we should deal with this. So one time I was exposed to this, well, a family in particular, and, um, we were having dinner. It was a Christmas dinner and everybody was, was having a good time. And then uh, they had experienced a loss. It, it had been quite a bit of time. 
and uh, but it was still recent. So one person brought it up, and then that person, uh, you know, started crying, and then the other person started. So now you had like twenty people, um, you know, crying. We suspended the Christmas dinner, and then we went to the graveyard. So so that family in particular had a very specific way of, of dealing with that, but they wouldn't talk about it throughout the whole year. Okay. So then we get into the family systems of how every, everybody deals with some, with, with grieving, with grief uh, differently. So um, depending on that, you know, we start developing our own concept of, well, if I lose somebody, I shouldn't talk about it. I shouldn't cry about it. Or, or I have to be strong for my kids. I have to be strong for this. So, yes. so we all have a very different way of, of, of understanding that. It doesn't mean that it's a healthy way. But it's the way we were taught. But it's the way we were taught, exactly. Okay. And I can relate to your experience as well because I was also raised in a Mexican household and, you know, Dia de los Muertos. And whenever someone passed away, my parents wouldn't hide it from me. You know, they would mm -hmm. let me know what was going on, even from a very young age. And I think uh, one of the biggest lessons that my mom taught me was that with life comes death. Con vida viene la muerte. She would always, and till this day, you know, she she would taught me that. And I think I am scared of death. Like, I think everyone is. Of course, nobody wants to lose a loved one. But I think that because of my mom taught me that from a very young age, I accept it as, as it comes. Mm -hmm. That, that right. was really helpful from, from a very young age. And we can talk a little bit about grief and with children as well a little bit later. But now I want to get into grief in the holidays, right? This okay. is what um, this episode is all about. And even though I come from the loveliest and most amazing family, sometimes I felt like there was something missing and you know you see everyone around you in the holidays so happy and you see the stores are full with decorations and everything is so bright and beautiful but maybe in the inside you feel a certain way and mm -hmm. I always felt like a an outsider you know I was like why do I feel sad on Christmas you know <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I felt like a little Grinch like I did <laughs> like, right. what is wrong with me? <laughs> and I'm usually a very cheerful person and you know I'm always like this but in the holidays in particular I felt I don't know I just felt different from everyone and I didn't feel that holiday cheer so I know in conversations that I've had with friends, I know there's people out there who also feel like this. So my first question for you would be, what is it about the holidays that can be depressing for some individuals? So, okay, I guess first thing is holidays are associated with just so many things, you know, we, we have holidays basically expose a lot of our, our family systems, a lot of our um, stability in some areas of our life, right? So, uh, you know, to give you an example, Christmas, I think, is, you know, one of many people's favorite holidays. And if you think about it right. in a way that that's a combination of a bunch of traditions right. that involve the family, that that involves like how the family system works. So sometimes when we are when we are, I guess, for lack of a better term, asked to perform our tradition, we start noticing, uh, you know, 
are, are we are we doing okay with the family? Are we do we have a partner or not? Are we happy with our our, our situation? Right. Or maybe it reminds us of, of of the people that are not with us. So it, it just has so many ramifications, right? But why is it that we start feeling, um, you know, sad or something like that? That goes a little bit before that, and it, it turns into our perception of that particular holiday. So it's what we call like a phenomena, phenomenological perspective. <laughs> so I guess to keep using Christmas as an example, let's pretend that, you know, you had a great time, uh, you know, with Christmas and you enjoyed it and you had like 5,000 gifts every, <laughs> you know, every, every Christmas and you had, you had a good time. Yes. So then you grow up thinking, well, Christmas is a good time. Okay. You know, I, I'm happy with Christmas. So then your schema about Christmas is like, well, you know, this is good. So then you start building on top of that. And then eventually, you know, you grew a little bit and then now you brought a boyfriend to Christmas and they treated him nice. And, <laughs> and, and, and now you're like, wow, you know, so, so this is a nice time. And then, then eventually you have kids and, and you start having fun with the family, you know, so it, it builds up that momentum of multiple experiences that build your self schema about that or your ski or your, your perception about Christmas. Now let's pretend that, you know, we go back and then, you know, parents got divorced when you were young in Christmas and then, you know, there were no toys, no, no gifts. And then mom was stressing about work because she didn't have, any, you know, and you built a multiple series of unfortunate events. Well, then the perception about that might not be good. And when we deal with this, there are some key factors in our life that sometimes um, come in play. For example, we might have a grandparent that steps in and becomes sort of a father figure and, or, 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 or we have other people that start uh, coming into our lives that become a, a key part of it and they become part of that system. So then when we lose somebody dear like that, then the holiday becomes sort of a constant reminder of, well, you know, we don't have them anymore. And that forces a, a system change. Now that you're saying that, Gerardo, makes me think about um, how this feeling of grief came to me when I was coming out of my childhood years. So I always had that expectation, maybe as to use Christmas an example, as an example, um, I always had that expectation of like wonderful gifts and all the attention being there for, you know, me and my cousins and my sister, you know, that we were the kids around the house. Right. And as you're growing up and you're going through different things in your life that are completely normal, maybe you have, maybe that's why it's a little, you know, depressing at times. And right now I think that Christmas and the holidays and all December is wonderful with my family because I have adapted to the new traditions that we have. You know, right. I might not, you know, Santa Claus doesn't come to my tree anymore, you know, <laughs> but we that's have, so sad. <laughs> that's so sad. I know. I wish I had Santa Claus coming to my tree. Um, but we have other traditions that I enjoy, you know, the, the food traditions that we have in my family and, you know, the gift exchange and all the dances right. and all Last year, I was thinking about, wow, what if this goes away? And it will, you know. And I was sitting there at the couch of, of um, we were at my, my grandparents, and I was just thinking about that. And now that I think about, now we have the pandemic, right? And we won't mm -hmm. be able to gather. So 
Right. Some, like I did, like for, at least for this year, I will lose that. So I think that's that can be a little sad for people. And I know it will, because, especially in our community, right, that we're so used to gathering. And now that we're talking about tradition and that the holidays come with all those uh, memories of tradition and all those mm -hmm. um, systems that we have in place, how can we cope with our tradition changing? Uh, the holidays basically call for an ongoing, never-ending evolution of, of family systems and traditions. Okay, you hit it right on the spot right now. <clears throat> you know, when you were a kid, you know, you had all these gifts and stuff like that. And then eventually Santa Claus didn't come anymore. So there was a transition. For that. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is that that becomes a system change where, number one, I have to build new traditions. However, when we are unable to transition well from one point to another one, that's when we start having some negative um, associations with that. And the same thing goes when we lose uh, a loved one, when we go through a divorce, when we have a separation, when we go through a, a loss of job in the family, whatever it might be. Yeah, there's always that system change that eventually will come to affect the family. So our capacity to, number one, identify that, And number two, to deal with it has a lot to do with our ability to continue be to continue um, uh, having a positive view of that of that holiday. So, as as as, as, as human beings, we are naturally resilient. We are we are we are designed to heal. And this is not only for our body. We don't have to tell, you know, when we get a, a cut, we don't have to tell the skin, hey, by the way, you know, you should start developing some cells so you can kind of heal quickly. We just do. And, and this is the same thing with, um, <clears throat> with our mind. We are designed to adjust, you know, to our environment. So that's where it comes into play as far as the way that we see this. And, 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 and if we don't, then that's when we start developing the other set of symptoms that would be more pathological. This is United and Resilient. We'll be right back. My name is Rene Hurtado, El Pasoan, and Chief of Staff for Emergence Health Network, Mental Health Authority for El Paso County. Where was I on August 3rd? Like most El Pasoans, I was enjoying a late summer Saturday. I had just gotten back from the gym when I started to get text messages, uh, rumors of a shooting, lots of details yet to be known. I turned on CNN, and, and there it was. I held my breath. For most of my career, I've worked in healthcare administration for hospitals and healthcare organizations. And for years, we prepared the drills, the desktop exercises, the plans. We even talked about it, how El Paso, with its presence on the border, its demographics, its military, all the things that, that might make us a likely target. Yet it still seemed surreal. Emergency Health Network's crisis intervention team members were at the parking lot moments after the shooting to provide support and services. And we immediately began deploying mental health professionals to ERs and wherever they were needed. I spoke to my CEO and we decided I would deploy to, the, to UMC to coordinate our resources with the ongoing efforts there. And that's where I spent the rest of 8-3. At the hospital, I was witnessing this amazing healthcare team doing amazing work under extraordinary circumstances. I was also witnessing the true individual emotional impact that this act of terrorism was having on our people and would continue to have in the weeks and months to come. I was seeing the fear and confusion of family members looking for some kind of news regarding their loved ones. 
It was when we first saw the immense need for mental health services that was going to be so crucial in order for our community to recover. But I also saw our first responder community acknowledging behavioral health as a vital component of disaster response. One of the most impactful moments for me was walking into the UMC Command Center. Immediately I see hospital CEO Jacob Sintron, who I've known for many years. He was in the middle of a briefing and he stopped and looked at me and he immediately said, emergency is here with behavioral health support. Let's make sure that they have what they need. That openness, I believe, is what is so important and what sets us apart in our response efforts. But of course, that was only the first of many trying and emotional days to come. Those first few weeks were very intense with so much need and so many people and organizations coming forward with resources. It's a blur now, really. Every day seemed to bring a new challenge, but also a new opportunity to make things better for the victims and for El Paso. The teamwork with the Office of Emergency Management under the fantastic leadership of Assistant Fire Chief Jorge Rodriguez, our elected officials, schools, fellow healthcare providers, and so many others seem to make things all things possible, even as we were living in the shadow of this horrible thing that happened that was still so fresh and we were still trying to process. A couple of things stand out for me personally. First off, one of the things we immediately noticed was this, this shooting affected our entire community, whether you were at the Walmart parking lot or not. Our community was having so many intense feelings and it was important that people knew were to reach out for help without fear of judgment or being perceived as weak. We were working so hard to make sure that people knew that our crisis line was available to anyone who needed it at any time. We coordinated so many interviews with local and national media and worked nonstop to find as many avenues as possible to help carry our message. To that end, I was privileged to help launch and design a comprehensive multimedia campaign designed especially for El Pasoans, featuring TV and radio spots and online videos through funding provided by the Office of the Governor. Working with my friend Marina Montes Vice at Barracuda Public Relations, I believe we created something truly special for El Pasoans, where they could see themselves in, in, in these images. They could see their neighbors and family members talking about becoming stronger because they sought out the help they needed. I also had the great privilege and honor of serving on the One Fund El Paso Steering Committee, where I was witness to the great generosity that El Pasoans displayed to help those in need. If you recall, One Fund El Paso was a charitable fund set up by the Paso del Norte Health Foundation and the El Paso Community Foundation so that folks can donate to victims and families safely and securely. As part of that committee, we had to oversee the distribution of funds to families, and I was honored to be working alongside some of the most talented and caring professionals in El Paso. Part of the committee's work was setting up a, a community meeting where citizens could, were going to have a chance to have input on how those charitable funds were going to be distributed to victims. In preparation for that meeting, I spoke to representatives from other cities who had also underwent mass shootings and had hosted similar events. And they told us to be very careful. They said that these type of events uh, can be sometimes contentious with community members becoming adversarial and emotional when it comes to how the monies were gonna be distributed. So that evening, I was nervous about how it would go. Then the first speaker comes up to the mic, a very eloquent lady who I'm gonna guess is, was in her late to mid fifties. I wish I knew her name. And she began speaking. And when I heard the words she was saying, I became emotional. She started off by thanking everyone who donated and by thanking everyone who was there that night to help. 
She said that no one had to go out of the way to help her. No one had to donate a single dollar, but they did, many of them. So regardless of how much money was raised and distributed, she was going to be eternally grateful for the generosity of her neighbors. And those words set the tone for the rest of the meeting, where people spoke honestly and respectfully about their ordeal. We heard heartbreaking stories about sons losing their mothers, fathers losing their daughters. The level of empathy and caring in that room made me so proud to live in El Paso. Now, if you can believe that good can come out of such a horrendous act, it is that our community is now stronger and more resilient than ever. From a healthcare perspective, it was an opportunity to bring to light the importance of mental health as a component of whole body care. I do believe that our community has turned a corner and is now recognizing and embracing behavioral health as it never has before. El Paso was forever changed by this act of violence and our wounds continue to heal. And it has been my honor to work alongside people within Emergence and so many of our community partners who are giving of themselves and their talents so that we can come out the other side a stronger, more resilient El Paso that stands as a national example of strength and compassion. Now that we're talking about tradition and grief, I know, I know you mentioned it a little bit, and I want to touch a little bit more on this, is that maybe if you're an adult and you lost someone or something and you're feeling, you know, you're feeling depressed or you're feeling saddened by it, how can you deal? Like, I know a lot of moms, especially, and dads, too, might feel guilty that they can't be there for their kids or that they don't feel as joyful for their kids. So how can a parent deal with the guilt that comes with um, grief? So the first thing about it is that going back to, to our, our the beginning of our conversation, um, the grieving process is, is, is a normal process. We all need to experience that. That is the first thing. <clears throat> when we have um, when we have a loss, sometimes our our natural reaction is let's not talk about it or let's not let's not think about it. So that way uh, we don't feel. So not because it's not out in the open, out in our working memory means that it's not affecting us basically. So the first thing is to understand ourselves. How is it that we handle our stress? How do we handle our loss? You know, you know, we, 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 we are social creatures, so, you know, and, and Bruce Perry has a lot of information about that if you ever want to research that. But basically, uh, this is something that we need that we need to be able to have that support from people. We need to be able to express what we feel, what we think, and basically process whatever, um, whatever we are thinking. Now, our capacity to do that depends on, on, on how we have been trained or, or, or taught, basically, how to process information. For example, um, some people are extremely good at talking. Me. And yes, <laughs> and me too. <laughs> I love talking. So, yeah, so, you know, if you have a problem, uh, we say, well, um, I need to talk. I need to, um, uh, you know, you have friends, you have family, you have partners uh, or a therapist or whatever, and you say, there's something in my mind and I need to talk about it, right? Um, 
And that's very, very important to, to, to do because it allows us to process the information we have. Um, and sometimes we also go through, um, you know, stages where maybe we don't need to talk about it with people, but I need to express it in, in a way that is, is meaningful for me. I can start writing, I can start painting, working on whatever our natural way of dealing with that is, is technically what we need. But the, the, the issue is that sometimes we don't and we just hold it in. Uh, and and we, we, we have an unresolved grief that, that turns into basically the traumatic grief. You know, that's when we are unable to move forward from that. I know people that, and I, there's one, one person in particular that I remember that she lost, um, <clears throat> she lost her boyfriend when she was um, in her teens, basically like 16, 17, I don't know. And um, she was still hurt by it in her late thirties. And you see, that is, that is not precisely a normal, a normal trajectory of, 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 of a grieving. You know, we are able to, to our, our, our mind is designed to heal and to process and, and basically build that biographical memory, understand it, put it away. And now we have a template for how we deal with other things in the future. So when we are unable to process that is when, when it starts turning into the traumatic grief. What you're saying brought back a memory. Recently, we watched home videos from when I was a kid. And of course, like my grandma was there in the videos and I just listened to her voice. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just realized that I forgot what my grandma's voice sounded like. It made me feel guilty. So what would you say to people who might feel guilty that during the holidays, they're enjoying the holiday and they're like coming up with new traditions and, you know, they're doing their best to cope with their grief, but at the same time, they feel that kind of guilt. Yeah. So if I see it um, as a parent, for example, and, 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 and I die, I would want my kids to feel happy. I would want my kids to continue enjoying life, not to be sad for me for the rest of their lives, you know? So, and I think that's the majority of the people, you know, we want our family, our loved ones, our kids to continue their lives and and continue enjoying their lives and being happy. So the conclusion of somebody's life does not mean that their memory ends with that. Right. You know, we, we, we learn so much from people. We learn, uh, you know, many things from one relationship, from, from many people. And what counts is the, the emotions, the feelings, the, the, the knowledge, that so many more things that one relationship gives us. So it's our choice, basically, to be able to collect all those memories and, and, and consolidate them into this is who this person was for me. Right. And it's impossible to have only positive memories associated with one person. We have to have a combination of, of, of memories that conform that person's life. And, and sometimes we have good things, sometimes we have bad things. But our ability to understand the entire person and consolidate it and, and put it into, okay, this is going to be how I'm going to remember this is important. So with that in mind, if, if the person is able to say... I really loved my, my grandparent, my grandmother, uh, my grandfather, and this is what they would do for me. You know, then, then that's something that we keep in our hearts and we continue living 
our lives with that that component of that person you know so if i can share something something personal real quick um please you know i i spent quite a bit of time with my grandparents but i was um one of the youngest i guess um grandchildren so uh you know i didn't have them for for that long and one of the memories that i have when i used to live with them is that we would go out you know when the weather was nice uh we would go out and and, and they would send me to the store and get like some cookies and uh, I had my own little chair and they would just sit next to me like I was in the middle. And we would just sit outside, you know, drinking tea. Well, they call it guerrita back then. Like, it was just basic tea. I would, uh, I would just be drinking tea with them and eating cookies. And, and looking back, I probably didn't last it more than 10 minutes <laughs> sitting there. It was a kid. Yeah. But it's something that I kept. And, and it's, it's interesting, but like every time that I have mint or something like that that is my mind directly associates that it goes back to that moment it goes back to that so that became uh, you know a little template for my mind that is like i have to sit down and enjoy it yeah. <laughs> and not not so long ago actually i was craving you know mint tea i made that i made myself a cup of tea and i just sat down outside just sitting and just i was i was having fun i was enjoying that so yeah. the thing is that that's something that that i was taught and Yes, I can think about their illness, their situation, and many more things. But to me, that's one of the relevant memories that is good to keep. Right. That's so funny, Gerardo. I'm having mint here right now, so I'll, I'll take the next sit sip. <laughs> I'll take the next Get some sip. Cookies <laughs> in honor of your grandparents. <laughs> and what you're saying, Gerardo, it really brings me back to Dia de los Muertos, right? Because Dia de los Muertos. <clears throat> has that um, mentality back to it, right? That we remember what that person was to us. And it's a beautiful way to honor and right. just cope with that grief, right? Um, all the things right. that we put in the altar of that person. And it's just beautiful. Now, I want to talk about the first thing that I mentioned. Maybe someone might be feeling isolated, when they see everyone else being so joyful. So what would you say to a person that right now is feeling isolated because of the holidays when they see everyone just being so happy and so, you know, excited for the holidays? Yeah. yeah. So this is where it gets tricky because, you know, first thing is, is, is we need to understand where those emotions are coming from. In some situations, some people are able to, you know, start thinking about it and, 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 and taking action to, to fix it, you know? So a simple example is when somebody is isolating and they catch themselves isolating, they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not wanting to get out or not wanting to do anything with people. And they recognize that and they just do it. And that's great. You know, that's something that is their natural way of dealing with stuff. And, 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 and they can just easily repair that by doing the things they know that they need to do. So, but it's not always that simple. Not always that simple. Sometimes we do need, uh, you know, to talk to somebody and, and, and it could be a friend. It could be a loved one. Sometimes it's something as, uh, you know, as important as going with a friend and say, you know, I'm feeling sad. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I'm just not feeling good. Uh, you know, and, and, and I don't know why I'm crying and I don't know, I don't know why I'm isolating, but that connection itself is not what the person says 
but it's our social connection, our, our ability to relate to others that basically helps us process the information we need, feel connected with people. And sometimes we actually get some good advice from people. So that's one thing that, that helps, you know, so there are times that we can deal with it on our own. Sometimes we need that connection and, and it doesn't have to be from family. It doesn't have to be from friends. We have different people that, that are a tool for us to talk about certain things, right? So I have some friends that I talk about certain things, such as, you know, business or other things. I have another set of friends that I talk about other things. So family that I talk about other stuff. So it's impossible to have like a relationship ramble that one person fits all needs. You know, sometimes we need to have that branch. We just have to be very, very aware of who do we allow to influence us. So again, to go back with that, we have one, the, the ability to deal with it on our own. We have two, the ability to use our support system. You know, like talking to someone can be, as we mentioned before, can be a way of <clears throat> coping with our grief and um, leaning towards our emotions of grieving. But even still, there might be some individuals who are avoiding all certain type of like, you know, expressing your grief to either an individual or through something. How can I, if I'm feeling this way, if I'm still feeling isolated, if I'm still like avoiding my grief, how can I lean to them? Is there a, like a technique or how can I cope with this and allow myself to to feel what I'm feeling? Of course, it's easier said than done. If, if we feel that, that, okay, you know what? I need to just get out and do something. I need to run. I need to paint. I need to you know, play my instrument, you know, basically engaging in the activities that we know that are meaningful to us. And that alone does the trick. Well, then great. But if we notice that we have difficulty talking to our loved ones, difficulty talking to the people that we know that can help us, well, then that, that, that sort of becomes a, uh, you know, a problem. Can we do it ourselves or do we need some help? Because sometimes we have this attitude of like, you know, I can deal with a male. I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not depressed. I'm just, I, I just don't want to go out. <laughs> you know, and the first step is to understand, uh, are we in a little bit of, of denial of our own situation? Right. You know, just for the people who are listening, just understand that there are so many ways that maybe, maybe you're not a talker, like, like we said right now, maybe you're just don't, but I find, even though I'm a talker, I'm also a very quiet person. I'm just a little weirdo here. And, um, I find it that writing also helps me a lot. And, and then there are times that I want to talk about it. And then there's sometimes when I just have to be like in this room for a week, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, trying to process what I'm feeling. So uh, for, for someone who's out there listening, maybe talking is not an option for you. Just know that there's so many options and there's so many ways that you can express your grief and your emotions. Now, Gerardo, my next question, does grief end or does it last forever? I'd like to think that the, the grieving process concludes. And it turns into what I was talking about, uh, a narrative memory that we say, this, this was my loved one and, and I, I have all the memories together from that person. And, and this is how I think about it, right? It doesn't have to hurt later. It becomes um, a scar in our mind versus a wound. So, so if we look at our, for example, I have a, a scar right here. So this is, well, obviously you can't see it. Um, <laughs> he but, pointed uh, out know. a scar. <laughs> yes, I did. So, so, um, so I remember what happened. I remember 
how it happened, but it doesn't hurt me anymore. It's just something that is in my body. It's a, it's a, it's a perpetual reminder of what happened, but it doesn't have to hurt. So, right. you know, it's the same thing with grieving. We, it doesn't have to hurt. It's something that we can, we can understand. And uh, this is true for losing, like physically losing a loved one to uh, the loss of a relationship or, or many other things. So that's where depression sometimes starts kicking in when we are unable to, to resolve that. And, and depression in general comes from, I guess, two main areas. One would be the loss of something or a negative belief about our own selves. So the loss of something is one of the major precipitating events for the development of depression. Now my next question, Gerardo, would be for children. Do children experience mm -hmm. grief and how can we help them cope with their grief? Yes, of course. So how does it work with kids? You know, uh, kids are a little bit different because they, they don't quite have our ability to regulate as we do. Okay. Right. So kids don't have uh, a way of um, of kind of saying, "Well, I, I am feeling depressed. I need to right. I need to talk to my to my classmate about it." So you, they go to their kindergarten class and talk. No, they can't really. You know, it's right. something that they're unable to do. So, so you know, they start having a natural reaction, which. Let's say, for example, they start having irritation. They're, they're like throwing temper tantrums. They have trouble sleeping. They can't focus. You start seeing a decrease, uh, you know, in their academic performance. Right. Um, it's often common that we see some, um, some somatic symptoms uh, and headaches and just many things like that, you know, stomach aches. Um, and they start doing different things that or, or behaviors that might be out of character. Um, so I guess to, to explain it a little bit further. So we have, uh, I guess, two kinds of, of, of memories. We have something that is called the explicit, explicit memories and the implicit memories. So, uh, you know, to give you an example of this, um, do you remember when you learned how to drive? Like, do you, do you have those memories in your head? I do. Yeah. Were they fun? Were they fun? <laughs> They're funny, for or sure. <laughs> they're funny. There were some stressful ones, and then there are really funny ones. <laughs> so, if, if I would ask you, so tell me the story when, when, when you learned how to drive, you could probably tell me the funny stories, the stressful ones, you know, when you had your parents, like, you know, I'm your mother, listen to me, you know. So, we have an understanding of how our skill developed. So, that's an explicit memory when we know something that happened that produced some symptoms. So when we experience a loss as an adult, we know that something happened that caused the loss of, a, of our loved one and, and we know how it happened, right? Right. But when we're younger, we, we, we don't quite have a lot of that. So if we go into implicit memories, so to give you this, uh, another example, do you remember when you learned that wild animals were dangerous? I don't. No, you just know. You just know. I mean, you just something yeah. that you just know. Yeah. You don't remember how you learned that, but you know. And that is a template that eventually, if you go to the mountains and you see a rattlesnake, you're like, well, you know, I don't know much about that, but I know I shouldn't get close. So that's something that develops. So that's more of an implicit memory. So when we deal with traumatic events, those memories, we, we learned that we feel bad about something, but we don't quite remember when it started. 
So with kids, they start developing all those symptoms that I was telling you about, and they start having stomach aches, headaches, or, or they start getting angry or stuff like that. And that is their little brain trying to process it and like, okay, I don't know what to do with this memory. And that is when it's really, really important for us to get them the help they need. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. I, I know it's going to be really insightful for parents because I think that's a very common concern uh, for children. And, and especially as we mentioned in the beginning, right? It, it, maybe they didn't lose someone, but they've lost a lot right. throughout this year. Yeah. Right. So now, um, now my concluding questions would be for you, Gerardo, how can I support someone when I'm also grieving? That's a really good question because sometimes we feel that we have to be okay in order to help individuals, right? And, and that's kind of like the normal um, uh, or common belief. But in reality, um, going back to what we were talking about earlier, our ability to connect with people sometimes is way more powerful than the words we say. So when we are feeling, you know, uh, uh, sad over the loss of a loved one, when we have another family member that is experiencing the same loss, our ability to connect with that and to allow that person to cry with us, allow that person to talk about it, allow that, you know, even if I, if I use, uh, you know, my personal examples, uh, when I have experienced, you know, the losses of loved ones, if I really, really look back, I don't think that any, that, that I felt better with anything that somebody said to me. Right. Cause you're always yeah. thinking about like, what do I say to someone that's going through something like this? You're, right. One so, of your initial. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I don't think that I felt better by whatever people said. In fact, I don't even remember what people said. Yeah. So, but I do remember feeling better when somebody said, Hey, let's go and have dinner. And, and just that connection of that, dinner of being with somebody being being with with somebody that cared for me at my moment of of sadness was way more powerful than what they could have said so sometimes it's not just what we say sometimes is that connection we have with that loved one right so now uh, my last well almost to last question would be if someone is listening and it, and they're experiencing grief uh, depression, anxiety during the holidays, what are the next steps to take? I think number one is it's good to develop that overall stability in their lives. That's, uh, that's very, very important. You know, uh, some, one of the things that we, that we see at times in our office is when people call, they say, well, I need to see somebody now because right now my daughter's feeling depressed and I need somebody to see her like yesterday. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, we want somebody to, to, to our loved ones to be seen right away. But before therapy, even when they come to therapy, before we engage into any form of trauma treatment, we need to make sure that the person is stable. Yeah. Right. So what are some basic things that we should be uh, looking for? Well, we need to make sure that, that the sleeping is okay. Our sleep schedule is okay. Our, 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 our nutrition is good. We have a healthy level of activity. Our, our home is kind of in order, you know, so we need to take care of our basic needs before anything else. Because if you go to a therapist and, 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 and they're not sleeping well and they're not doing this, so then the therapist is going to be focused on stabilizing that person. So then it's going to be the same, uh, you know, the same lost time as if they would have been seen later. So one thing that we can do for our loved ones, for our kids, is making sure that their overall stability is okay. If I think about it in adult terms, 
you know, if I'm having those symptoms, the reactivation of our functioning is super important. We start, you know, going to work, working out, eating well, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the stabilization of the lifestyle is very, very important. So that would be recommendation number one. Recommendation number two is that, you know, we do sometimes still experience a stigma about talking to somebody. So what is the difference between talking to a friend and talking to a therapist? Well, a friend um, is going to be somebody that will be available to you. They're going to, you know, uh, support you. And and there's that bias because they love you because they want to be part of your life that they're going to try to make you feel better. And, and, and their job is to make you feel better. A therapist, on the other hand, the job is for us to help people process whatever they're going through so that they can start naturally grieving and moving forward with, with their lives. So it involves sometimes not feeling better <laughs> during some sessions before they're able to do so. Right. So I guess the other part is being open and, and, and willing to to participate with somebody. And something that I tell people is that, you know, if you're not sure whether you should go to counseling, well, then you should schedule one appointment and then ask the person, should I even be here? And then, and then take it from there. Awesome. Well, great. There you go, guys. And now actually my last question and <laughs> my listeners know that I always ask this question, but I love to get their insight from my guests is, what is the message of hope you would like to give to our community? So I think that going back to what we were talking about, we are, we are social creatures and we, we have this power to connect. And I think that in a way, um, it doesn't really matter the things that we go through if we are able to, to have that stability in our life with our loved ones. And, and those, those things combined allow us to continue moving forward. So uh, we are resilient by nature and we're able to to continue facing our events and moving forward despite anything that happens if we're able to have that stability and that social support and when we when we are unable to get it naturally that's when, when our, our professions are able to jump in and help Awesome. Well, Gerardo, it was great having you here at United and Resilient. I think it was a great way to close the year. So thank you so much for being here with us. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this content serves you and your loved ones as well. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do not forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at El Paso United FRC. To learn more about our commitment to the community's long-term recovery, please join us on the next episode.